All right. It's a possibility I may talk quickly. I'm not sure. I heard David speaks quickly as well. I didn't think it was that fast, but I was like, hey, that made me feel good. I was like, and everybody's like, man, that guy's flying. I'm like, no, he goes pretty quick too. So we'll see if we can get, get accomplished today. So we're going to be continuing. Um, well, two weeks ago, we were in the book of Joshua in chapter number six. And we wrote a message that was called Don't Quit. And in that message, we were in verses 11 through 14. And what we saw was this was kind of the lead up to the conquest that we're going to see over Jericho. What we did in that time was we looked at the six marches around the city. And what we saw in that passage was the unmistakable importance of the Ark of the Lord in that campaign. And what we saw was there was four different things we focused on in that message in review. We focused on the presence of the Ark, the prominence of the Ark, the position of the Ark, and then we also looked at the impact of the Ark upon the people in the fact of their persistence. And with the Ark of the Lord, what we examined and what we saw there, which was interesting, was the fact that there was a name change. We see a shift in the way that the Ark is actually listed. It was before talked about any times about the Ark of the Covenant, focused on the promise, but what we found is instantly it sort of shifted over and suddenly it was the Ark of the Lord, more focused on the presence of God. And we saw that the presence of this, uh, of this Ark was interesting because it became this unifying identity for the people as a whole. They moved as one as they circled the city. Then we consider the Ark's prominence. Okay, the prominence, why the Ark was really uh, in every aspect of this work, it was in the middle of everything. It was kind of the fulcrum point of the army's entire moves. And Joshua understood the fact that the Ark not only was important because of the presence that it represented, which was the presence of God, but also the fact that it was the key to victory. The people needed to, have a, to be able to see it. It was always placed in a place, it was put in a place of prominence so they would recognize it. But then there was also the position. And this was key because what we saw was the fact that, as I said, the ark was always in the center. Everything was around the ark. It was orchestrated. Everything was facilitated based upon where the ark was positioned. And what we saw was modeling for us this picture of the Lord being in the center of our life. Every decision that we make, every choice, every, every road that we take, we would make certain that, that God is in the, in the middle of it. That our orientation of our life is focused that way. And then we looked at that aspect of persistence. The persistence of the Israelites because of the ark. What did it do, man? They got excited about what God was doing. But what's interesting is the fact that after 144 hours of concentrated effort, that's the six days, right? Let's add that six days where they've been remaining quiet, they've been marching, they've been doing everything they're supposed to do. There are no results, right? They do everything they're supposed to do and there are no results. Yet they just keep trusting God. They do what's expected of them without question. We see that persistence, which is exactly what you and I should have. We're going to touch on that today, that aspect of persistence. But the Israelites, as we move on into verses 15 and 16 today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at that at the seventh day. And the number seven, which is going to be very, very key. Today's message is titled, The Seventh Day. Imagine that, creative titling on my behalf. On my behalf. Let's pray real quick, and we'll jump into it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Uh, Lord, I know that I have prayed and asked you to speak to me. And I'm confident that you have, and I'm asking you, Lord, that now that you would speak through me, uh, Lord, that my uh, tongue would not stumble, that my mind would not wander, Lord, that my heart and uh, my focus would be fully upon uh, hearing from you, and Lord, simply relaying what it is that you've given me to share. Lord, help us to have hearts that are willing to hear, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, if no one else is gripped by the message today, Lord, I pray that you'll use it uh, to continually grip me, uh, Father, of, uh, of keeping you as a priority point in our lives and not allowing distractions to draw us away. So thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray that you use this message for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 6, verses 15 and 16. It says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. 
And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And what we're going to find is the fact that as we look at these two verses, what we'll notice here is there's, a, there's an, an introduction that takes place here. Sort of a, uh, uh, what God's doing is he's kind of giving us an overview. And what this is doing, this is kind of closing God's overview. It started in verse number six, where we saw the assembly of the people. Then what we notice here is this is kind of bringing us all the way up to the point of the victory. 11, verses 11, 14. Last time we're talk, taking us through the march. But what we find is the fact that God, is, this, where this ends up is we're right at the moment where God's about to do the improbable and the impossible, right? We're right up to the moment when he tells them to shout. But what's interesting is God's going to take a pause right there. What we'll find is the fact that there's a pause. It doesn't pick back up until verse number 20. And what we notice is, you'll notice this phrase in here. It says, and it came to pass. What, what Joshua's doing is he's recounting what has happened. And you notice that verse in verses 15 and 16 both have that. And then we don't see it again until verse number 20. Verse 20 says this, so the people shouted with them when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass. But there's a pause. And there's an interesting pause there, verses 17, 18, and 19. And what we find there is Joshua's going to give some additional information. That little pause is so that he's going to kind of give us a little bit of detail, some things that they did get to hear before they actually get to shout. But what's interesting is there's no additional information about the battle plan. He doesn't fill them in on what's going to happen. All he does is basically give them the parameters of their behavior. He says, look, when all this gets ready to go down, you guys need to make sure that this is what you should do, and this is what you should not do. So next week, we're going to be in the pause, but this week, we're going to be right up to that moment, right as they're about to shout in this message, the seventh day. Now, the number seven, it's interesting, this seventh day is going to require a lot of God's people. It is asking a lot of them. And we're going to look at four different things it's going to ask of them. It's going to ask of them punctuality, consistency, longevity, and loyalty. Now, interestingly enough, the number seven, which is very interesting, it has a very significant purpose in Scripture, okay? And most of us know it as the number of perfection or the number of completion, okay? Now, if we just take it and we just consider the number seven, consider the fact that in creation, there are seven days of creation. Noah was to take the animals into the ark. And everybody always thinks it's two by two. That was the unclean animals. But the clean animals, guess what? That was supposed to be by sevens. Then we saw Jacob serve Laban for seven years. The candlestick that was in the tabernacle, guess what, which represented the Spirit of God, had seven branches in that candlestick. The Day of Atonement, when the blood was sprinkled, guess how many times it was sprinkled? Seven times. Joshua had seven priests, but seven horns, seven days, and they circled seven times. Solomon took seven years to build the temple. Then we looked at Job, who sat in silence for seven days. Naaman, who was told if he was going to get clean, that he was going to go to the Jordan River, and guess how many times he was to wash? Man, you guys are so engaged. I love it. It's amazing. I was overwhelmed by that. It was like, whoosh, whoosh. Made my heart racer for a second. God established seven feasts for the people. And guess what? Humanity is going to be on this earth for, for seven millennia, 7,000 years. The book of Revelation, check this out. Just the book of Revelation. Seven churches, seven spirits, seven stars, seven golden candlesticks, seven seals, seven horns, seven angels. We know seven trumpets and, and seven thunders. We know seven plagues, seven vials, and seven mountains. The number seven shows up in your Bible, your King James Bible, 562 times. But it's not only significant in the Bible. Understand, it's also significant in our world. Every week, right, we have seven days in the week. Our continent has seven, or our, our continent, our country, world, whatever you call it, the thing that we're on, the globe, <laughs> that thing has seven continents. <laughs> if our country had seven continents, that would be weird. Um, seven continents on our planet. But then think about the rainbow. The rainbow has seven colors, right? They go 
a red, orange, yellow, green, yellow, uh, blue, indigo, and violet. Right? So I should remember that from school. And what's interesting, just as a side note, there is a group of people that have taken God's promise that's pictured in a rainbow, and they have taken it, and they have absconded with it. And they used it as a symbol that does not represent God. But what's interesting about it is their rainbow only has six colors. Pay attention, interestingly enough. Then there are seven notes in the major scale of music. They go from A to G. There are seven phases of the moon. So the number seven is God's number of perfection and completion. Well, guess what? It's all over this account. So God's trying to tell us something here. He's gone, here's some spotlight for this time in history. And I'm going to tell you because I'm pointing out all of these things and I'm making it this way so that you'll pay attention to it and understand what it's showing us. This just happens to be an account where God's people are following his words that came by way of their representative or God's representative, which is Joshua. And they are following him and trusting him and walking with him. They've marched six days. They've marched six days, the expectation of that seventh day. When what will happen? God is going to bring victory. What's interesting, when we go back to the account, when God explains what's going to happen, and he told Joshua the information about this, go back to Joshua 6.2, if you have your paperwork with you, look up on the screen. This is God's account of what was going to happen. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given him, given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with trumpets. And it came to pass, and it shall come to pass, that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. Notice this word, right? this phrase right here. And the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Guys, God is pointing to something related to the seventh day. 2 Peter 3.8 tells us this, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What he's saying is sometimes you're going to look in Scripture and you're going to see the word day, and I'm going to be actually talking about a thousand years. And you'll see other times where it's going to say a thousand years, and I'm actually talking about a day. So we see a march here, a six-day march, that if we use that parameter and we go from a day to a thousand years, we've got 6,000 years of human history. We've been walking around this sinful world. And as Christians, what are we doing, man? We're following the Lord Jesus Christ. We're following our Joshua, awaiting the seventh day where God's going to bring spiritual defeat over this wicked world by way of our Joshua and enter in to a thousand-year reign of Christ, a seventh day. It just happens to be ushered in by a trumpet and a voice. Revelations 4.1 says this, After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Guys, the apostle John, when you see him in scripture, he is a picture of the church. He's a representation of the church. You hear the term rapture, which is not a biblical term, but what it means is to be called up. Jesus speaks about it in John 14, verses one through three. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there ye may be also. The seventh day 
in Joshua is pointing to the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for us as believers, it is glorious. Praise God. But I can tell you, for the unsaved world, it will not be glorious. It will be horrific. It will be frightening. Because the wrath that God has been storing up, which we see in Romans 2, verse 5, the wrath that God has been storing up, it is going to come to fruition. And those people are going to face that wrath. 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 Verse 15. There's an interesting wording in there in verse 15. I'm going to take you back there. Just read through it real quick. And it came to pass on the seventh day that there, they, they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, if you know anything about the Bible, that right there is a marker for you. That's pointing to the second coming of Christ. When you see the term that day, they compassed the city seven times. That's always pointing to the time period of the Lord's return. And that's just the introduction. I haven't even gotten to the points yet. So I'm just like, geez. No one else is excited, just me. Me and Alana, right on. Woo, here we go. But here we go. So what we're going to happen is we're going to move now. We're going to look at the journey, uh, what was required of these Israelites as they are approaching this victory on the seventh day. First, it'll be their punctuality. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. Now we see again, verse 12. Remember we saw Joshua. What time? He got up, he got up early in the day. We talked about the fact that Joshua was a morning person. But what's interesting is there's a pattern in Scripture of people meeting with God in the morning. We go to Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. David talking here. He says, Give ear to my heart, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee I will pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Abraham. When Abraham was called, guess what? He rose early in the morning. He rose early in the morning to go before God. We go to Genesis 22.3. The very first time the word worship shows up in Scripture. And guess where worship starts? Early in the morning. Exodus 8.20. Exodus 34.4. God's calling Moses to service. When he calls him to service, guess what? It's early in the morning. There are dozens and dozens of examples of this early morning communion with God. And I'm just telling you, if we followed suit... If we started our day with the Lord, how could we possibly go wrong? Because understand, many times we wake up in the morning, we get consumed by the news or whatever stuff is going on. We get on Facebook or whatever else it is, and we fill ourselves with garbage. Things that are not going to strengthen us or fortify us for the day. They're going to weaken us before we even get started. What if we said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to commune with you this morning. God, I want to hear from you. I want to feed my heart, feed my soul, strengthen me for today. Let me go out and be a soldier for Christ. God, let me put on my armor this morning. Let us do this together. I want to be with you. Right? It's a wonderful way for us to start our day. We should follow it as our example. But did you notice that it's different here? It doesn't just say the early morning. It says the dawning of the day. Making certain to connect the rising of the sun to this instance. So what we find is the dawn is always determined not by the clock, but by the sun itself. The sun's appearance determines the dawn. It's all about the sun. And then we go to the book of Malachi. Malachi 4, verses 1 through 3. What you're going to find is this is actually, this is talking and prophesying of the Lord's return. And listen to the way this is worded. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Nothing. Verse 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. Capital S-U-N. Picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Righteousness shall arise. 
We would call the rising of the sun the dawn, right? Is that not? The dawn with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. God will provide for you. And what we find out is on this seventh day, when that wall comes crashing down, God's orders are going to be for them to go in and utterly destroy that city except for Rahab and her family. Notice the next verse, verse 3 says this, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. The day he's mentioning, we could call it the seventh day. Notice this, they rose up early about the dawning of the day. That revealed to us not only the prophetic aspect of the Lord's return, but also their willingness to be used of God, which takes us to their consistency. Verse 15 continues, continues encompass the city after the same manner seven times. Okay? This is telling us that just like the other six days, this now this seventh time, with no results, with no encouragement, nothing going on, they follow the exact same pattern that they have for the six days. They've obediently circled one more time. So now they've circled the city at this point in time seven times. It's been seven days, seven circles. Now, and no results, by the way. And we think about you or I. And we're like, man, you know, yeah, God, you know what? He loves that number seven. And today's day seven. So this is pretty much something, something's going to happen today, man. Something's going to happen. And they finished that seventh circle. And I think that if we were in that crowd, unfortunately, because of the mindset of, of Christians of today, we would be like, you know what? You know, I was committed in the beginning of this thing. <laughs> First day, fine. Second day, sure. Six days in, sure. This is day seven, fellas. Guys, it's been a week. Hello. <laughs> City's just as strong as it was when we got started. How many more days are we going to do this? I'm ready to pack it up. What do you say, fellas? Right? But we'll notice that's not the attitude of these people. They've circled all these times. What happens is the fact that they're consistent. They trust in the promise that they were given. Because remember, God told them, Moses told them, Joshua told them the same thing. He said, guess what? The land is going to be yours. I'm going to give you the land. So instead of looking at the circumstances of what they see with their eyes and what their, their, their mindset might be, they're going, you know what? We're just going to trust. So their consistency is in their faith and their willingness to promise or they have to trust God's promise and to follow their leadership. If Joshua's going to get up, guess what? We're going to get up. If Joshua's going to march, guess what we're going to do? We're going to march. We're going to march. We won't quit. That message last uh, two weeks ago, don't quit. What was the, we finished it up with Galatians 6, 9. What is that verse that says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. It says, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just don't quit. The problem with most Christians, the fact that that's the struggle every day not to quit. That's a promise from God, guys. That's in the New Testament. That's written to the church of Galatia. That's written to you and I. That we can receive that truth and go, hey, you know what? Just don't quit. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. But what happens here, we see the Israelites. They're a picture of this consistency. Will we be consistent? Will we do it and be consistent until the, until the promise is fulfilled? Can I tell you, countless individuals probably sitting in this room, there are plenty of us, man, that have, that have, that have sought after God and, sh and have quit just short of the victory, never experiencing what God intended for them. Never knowing. Because you know what? They became weary and well-doing, and their circumstances overwhelmed them, and they said, you know what? I'm just going to stop. Can I tell you that all the runners in the world, no matter how talented they may be, no matter how committed they may be when the race starts or midway through, if they don't cross the finish line, they don't know what victory tastes like. 
Because there's so many people that start the race of life as a Christian who may start out right, man. They get saved. They're on fire for the Lord. And guess what? Life gets involved. And before you know it, they get derailed and they quit. And they don't finish the course right. They don't finish strong. They don't finish honoring God with their lives. There are story after story after story of destruction from people who have lost sight of the goal of what God's trying to get them to do. They don't finish well. And see, it's this consistency, consistency trusting God. They're following their leadership. They're holding on to God's promise. And they earnestly are seeking to do what God's called them to do. Understand, Colossians 3.2, what does it tell us? It says, set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. See, it's the problem is when we get distracted by the things on the earth that seem important but mean nothing in heaven, they divert us from God's work. They divert us from trusting Him. See, we set our affections on Him. We seek daily to fulfill the mission that He's given us, which is to reach this broken world. And when we get caught up in our own issues and problems, we start to lose sight of the people around us. We can sit right beside somebody at work who is on their way to hell. And because we're dealing with our own issues, we don't even think about their soul. It never even crosses our mind. What would the Lord do? God would intervene in their life. He's asking us to do that. God, that, that, God, that we would be faithful. That when we leave this world, we did it God's way. That we could echo what Paul said. Right? What did Paul say to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.7? He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Right? I have kept the faith. Hey, man, I may have had a bad start to my life, but you know what? Once God got a hold of my heart, I fought for him all the way to the end. Paul's ready to die. You know what he's saying, Timothy? I stayed consistent. I may not be great, but you know what? I stayed consistent. And that's our challenge every day. Stay consistent. So we witnessed their punctuality and their consistency. Now let's consider their longevity. Verse 15 continues. This is only on that day they compassed the city seven times. So here we are on day seven. And they've done their lap. You know, they follow the pattern, recognize they've done the exact same thing for six days. And now what happens is they loop around and they're getting ready to, okay, guys, it's time to get to camp. And the judge goes, where's Joshua going? Oh, okay, going another time. But what you find is there's no hesitation. The pattern is broken, but no one complains. You know why? Because these soldiers don't have their own agenda. They're going, hey, whatever Joshua's doing, that's what we'll do. You want to make another loop? Let's make another loop. They're following their leader habitually. What that means is they've gotten so used to listening, to following, and trusting that it's become natural. So instead of questioning when Joshua starts to circle again, they go, okay, what's our job? He's not telling us what's going on. Joshua knows what's going on. He's talking to God, and because God's talking to him, let's follow him. When my wife and I were dealing uh, with issues uh, in our family and our son was struggling, and as God was tell telling me what we should do, I had clarity on what it was we were to do. And it was hard. It was hard. And my wife was crying, and she said, are we doing the right thing? And I said, you know what? We are. I know God's telling me this is what we're supposed to do. You know what she said? I don't feel the same way, but I know because you're listening to God, I'm just going to trust you. Pattern. We follow the Lord. And if we get used to doing that, guess what? When the pattern of behavior, what he asks of us, it's outside of our norm. Instead of doubting it in that moment, we'll just simply say, okay. God, you asked more of me. Guess what? 
you get more of me. If you want me to do this, I will do it. And we won't miss a beat. We won't complain. We won't be frustrated. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. When he asks more of us, we, we give it. The Israelites, don't circle one more time. They end up total seven times in one day. Remember, the soldiers don't know where they're going. They don't know the purpose of what it is they're doing. All they know is that God is faithful. And guess what? That's all they need to know. That's all they need to know is that God is faithful. And I tell you, man, that's all we need to know. When life throws challenges our way and we don't know what's going on, so many times we think we need to have all the answers. I need to know what's, what's, what's ahead. How many of us are worried about what's coming? Right? Things we cannot affect, we cannot change, yet we worry about them on a regular basis. Almost every single day. Some people live their lives in continual fear and frustration because they desire to know. That is an issue of control. And the sooner we come to the realization that we have no control and let go of that delusion, guess what it does? It sets us free. Because now God can use our life. Instead of us being so eat up with these things that we're concerned with, God says, hey, 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 I got all that stuff. Don't worry about the details. You focus on now, the people that I'm trying to use you to reach. Let your life and your light shine into the darkness. Because guess what? The sooner you let go of that delusion of control, man, the sooner you can let go of the fear that controls you, the anxiety that people live with on a regular basis. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God has an expected end for our life. And if we trust that he knows what's best for us and he's trying to accomplish it in our life, why are we fearful? Why do we need to know? Because God already knows. The sooner we accept that truth and we make that a part of who we are and we stop thinking that we need to be in control and know what the future holds. Man, we can be set free. Because guess what? It doesn't matter if we know what the future holds because God knows. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So we witness their punctuality, their consistency, their longevity. Notice this, their loyalty, their loyalty. Verse 16 says this, And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And understand, it will be in the next moment, in the next moment that the walls of Jericho will come crashing to the ground. Unbelievable victory. And it will only have happened because of the loyalty, which is tied to every point of this message. It was loyalty, their loyalty to get up at the dawn. It was their loyalty to be willing to march for seven days, continually with no answers. It was their loyalty that on that seventh day, they would just keep marching and just keep marching, not asking questions, not frustrated, just trusting. It's their loyalty to God, his promises, and to Joshua, man that will bring them right up to the point of victory. It's their loyalty to Him. And you see, it's our loyalty to Christ that will allow us to do those things that we do not think are possible. You and I are not strong, but God is strong. Recognize when you and I, when we show grace and forgiveness to people who we want to lash out at, that we are just so frustrated or hurt by it, and we want to lash out, and God says, no. And you show grace and forgiveness, that's by the grace of God. That's your loyalty to Him. When we show love and we pour our hearts out to people that are unlovable and undeserving of love, that's what we're doing. We're showing our loyalty to God. 
when we look at this world and all the mess that it's got in it and all the frustration that's taking place, and we have compassion upon this sinful world instead of switching into judgment and frustration and voicing our, our, our anger or complaining about it, but our heart breaks and we find ourselves on our knees calling out for these people that are broken. It's when we let go of deep-seated pain that we have held on for years and years and years. When we let go of those things and we just say, God, I trust you. And even this pain, God, I trust you. Let me just let it go. I'm just telling you, man, when we stop allowing fear to control and guide our lives, instead of allowing it to have a grip on us, we cut away from it. We say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I don't know what comes, but you do. Guys, we display our loyalty to God. And see, each one of those acts of love, and that's what they are, each one of those acts of love are outside of our ability. They're virtually impossible for a human being to accomplish. But with God, right, all things are possible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. All things. It doesn't say some things. I could never do that. I could never do that. You're right. You never can. But guess what? God can. Get out of the way. But you see, Jesus, the Lord God, has been a loyal friend to humanity from the very beginning. From the very beginning. And he's never changed. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent. Listen, from the fall of man, he has committed himself to the restoration of humanity. We see it pictured throughout Scripture, time and time again, a story of restoration. 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 Listen, he's been faithful to preserve his word. He's been faithful to preserve his witness that we would be redeemed. Out of all time, God's preserved both of those so that we could come to know him. And I want you to listen to the heart of the Lord. Listen to God's heart. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a prayer where Jesus is pouring his heart out, talking to God. And I want you to hear who he's praying for in the start of this. Verse number 20, 1720. Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the disciples and those that are following in the current day, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He says, I am projecting and looking into the future for people like you and I, right? He's saying, for those that will believe because of their word. These are, that's, Jesus is praying for us, verse 21, that they all, meaning the ones in the past and the ones today, they all be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There's the mission. There's the mission that the world might believe that he has sent me. That's, the, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Verse number 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Again, recounting the mission, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, guess what? Even then, Jesus Christ, the plan was that he would die. God knew before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, 
slain from the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan to redeem this broken world. He is a loyal friend. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world that hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto, thy, unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love there wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. Listen to that. The love of God would be in us, that we would reach out to this world, and I in them. That would be, we would be a picture of Christ. The way we live our lives, the choices we make, the way we interact with people in this world. Instead of being a judge, we are, we are a, 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 an ambassador. We love them to Christ. That's the whole point. We're not here to be the judge. You see, the Lord's love for us, His loyalty to us, it has no bounds. It is unlimited. But the problem is, our loyalty to Him pales in comparison to our loyalty to ourselves. Sadly. As we find every excuse in the book why we cannot fulfill the mission that God's given us. Right? Our hearts, our minds, and our imaginations are so focused on the distractions of the world instead of God. And can I tell you, when God was convicting me this week, that's what he was telling me. I was like, you know, God, I'm doing all the right things. I'm in my Bible. I'm praying like I should. I'm caring for the people. I'm reaching out. But I had this sense of distance between me and him because the Bible talks about leaving your first love, right? And that's the problem. My heart was divided. I was allowing the things of the world to creep into my life and to draw me away. And you understand, that's the subtlety of Satan. His whole goal is to divide us from God. And when you feel that, what do you do? You go to the Word, man. God took me to Romans chapter number 8, and I read it about 10 times over, man, and he broke my heart as I listened to who God is and how much he loved me. And you know what the problem is? This is not a struggle that I'm the only one facing. I can tell you, every one of us has faced it at some point in time in our life. And if we faced it before, we were going to face it again. Bottom line is we either submit to God and let Him lead or we lead ourselves. If we lead ourselves, we lead ourselves astray. All we like sheep have gone astray and gone our own way. That's what will happen. But God wants to use our life. And if we don't submit ourselves to Him, we will find ourselves in the bushes, in the, in the thicket. Notice this, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, prophetically speaking of our times. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, Here's a list of the things that they would do. They'll be covetous. Just watch, go to the internet, watch, just watch some little bit of your internet or YouTube, whatever it is, and just all the, you'll see all these. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, dis disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, incontinent means out of control, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And man, that's certainly true of the lost world, no doubt about it. The problem is that, guess what, it's also true of a lot of the saved world as well. People that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. May that not be said of us. But you know what the problem is? People that are doing that, that are, have a life like that, that have a faith like that, many times, guess what, they don't know it. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. There's lots and lots of scripture about deceiving ourselves. Because what can happen is we can convince ourselves that we're loyal to God in the midst of our sin. And you go, well, 
I mean, pastor, I mean, I'm not in sin. I mean, come on. You're not talking about me. I'm a good, godly person. I really keep a close watch on my walk. But can I remind you of this in James 4, 17? Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And is there times when we know we're supposed to be a witness for the Lord to the way we live, to the testimony that we share of God's truth, or the way that we give a track or, or tell someone of God's goodness? But well, we don't do it. The Bible says, for him to know it to do good and do it not, to him it is sin. Right? And we can convince ourselves that we're loyal to God because we're checking all the boxes. Well, that doesn't talk about me. But how about that? Are we a witness? Listen, <laughs> in the day and age that we live in, the Laodicean church age, I fear that the verse I'm about to read speaks more of us than we want it to. Matthew 15, 8, as Jesus addressed the, the uh, the religious crowd. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I pray that's not us. But unfortunately, I think sometimes it is. And we can look at our world today, the times and the seasons, scripturally, right? We can, we can look and we can say, man, the Lord's return is imminent. I mean, it could be any minute question is, man, are we ready? Right? Are we ready for his return? If it was today, right now, are we ready? Is our family ready? Is our spouse ready? Are our kids ready? Are our friends ready? Are our co-workers ready? Are our neighbors ready? Is that a concern for us? Are we even thinking about it? Are we so distracted with the world that we're not even considering it? Are we so eat up with ourselves that we don't even think? Listen, God desperately wants to reach them, to redeem them, to restore them back to himself. And the mechanism that he put in place, guess what? It's us. And it hinges on our loyalty to him. See, he's told us what to do. We know. The question is, will we do it? Before the dawning of the seventh day. Because I can tell you, we are right on the cusp. If we don't get serious about the things of God, we're going to stand before him with so much regret having done so many things that were just a waste of time. What matters to him? We wouldn't have considered it. But if we change today, or if he gives us today, if he gives us another year, if he gives us 10 years and we sell ourselves out for the cause of Christ, and we finish like Paul did, right? We kept the faith. I know this is a challenging message, but listen, man, if we'll take it to heart and let it change us, not sit in this service and go, good message, Pastor, good work. No, I don't care about that. I care about our hearts changing. I care about us changing who we are in this community. I care about, I care about people not knowing hope and going, oh, that's a nice little place. Go, you know what? Those people love souls. People that I meet there, you know what? I've gotten so many, I mean, I love going to a store and somebody and I go give them a track and they're like, oh, I just got one of those. I'm like, praise God. Yeah, nice job, guys. It's awesome. It's such an encouragement. And I can tell you it's happened to me multiple times. But everywhere we should go, everywhere you, if God gives you a chance to interact with somebody, man, do something for the glory of God. Don't be so consumed with what you're doing or, or, or reading your phone, oh, yeah, yeah whatever, right? I'm busy, I do it too. I'm just telling you, we've got to check ourselves because the devil is working hard to keep people out of heaven. And if we're not careful, we'll help him to do the very same thing. 
God is brokenhearted for this world, and we need to have the exact same broken heart that we might be conscious. Man, the seventh day could be today. Let's pray. Lord, you've been so good to me, and uh, Lord, I'm eternally grateful for the relationship that you've established with me, and God, what you've done in this church, people you've brought here, and Lord, I pray that you'll help us, Lord. I feel coldness in this room, and it breaks my heart. My heart breaks for this world. And I know why this message was important, God, because I have got to stay broken. I pray that, Father, we'll all get that same heart, because I know it's your heart. I may not be cold. I may not sit and listen to a message. Check off that we were in church. Leave this room and be exactly the same as we were before. I pray. Don't let me do that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Listen. I want to pray for you guys. I honestly want to pray for you guys. And if you were honest with God right now and you looked in your heart and you thought about where your heart was in regards to the souls of men, caring for people, having a broken heart for what God is broken for. And if he's calling you today, I'm asking you, I want you to raise your hand and say, look, I know I need to do better. I'm not where I need to be. Help me, Lord, to do better. I'm going to pray for you that God would do a great work. I see that hand. Just raise it and say, look, I'm not being who I should be, but I know I could do better. Listen, I want us to be broken because a broken heart will change. It's the hardness of our hearts that keeps us the same. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know Christ, I don't know where I stand with God, but I want to know him. Listen, 20 years ago, someone asked me if I died today, if I knew for sure I was on my way to heaven, and I did not know. And that night, thank God, they showed me that I was a sinner, that I, on my own, was on my way to hell. I didn't have a chance in the world. But God loved me, and because of that love, he died on the cross and paid a debt that I could not pay to set me free. And if I would receive that gift of God through faith, that he would save me. And that night changed my life. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You've got to realize that you're a sinner. You've got to know that on your own, you're in deep trouble. But God died on the cross to redeem you. And by faith, you can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're watching this online, watching this recorded, it does not require a special prayer or a service. This is you and God. If he's dealing with your heart, all you got to do is submit. So as he calls out to you, he's asking you to respond. If you want to respond and receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But it will not be the prayer that will do anything for you. There's nothing magic about the words. It's a broken heart that God will receive. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. You can repeat in your heart, mind, or out loud. I don't care. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I realize how much you love me. And I'm amazed by it. I know I'm unworthy. And yet you love me. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart to save my soul 
and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. By faith, I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Listen, if you prayed today,